Namaste, friends. You are listening to Impact India, a podcast that deep dives into the epic stories of social impact leaders and innovators across diverse sectors in India. This podcast is brought to you by Cause Artist, and I'm your host, Jasmine Rain, social entrepreneur and director of Hotter World. You can connect with me on social media at Jasmine Rain. Each episode, we're exploring the challenges, successes, and opportunities within social innovation in India and helping you become a more conscious consumer in the process. So without further ado, let's jump into our episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Impact India. Today, we have a different perspective on the innovation and growth and the diversity of India um, coming from a traveler's perspective. Uh, so today, I'm actually interviewing a good friend of mine and a, and a past colleague from when I first came to India to work for an NGO, um, Eileen McDougall. So she is from Scotland and has been going back and forth between London and England and um, I mean it's mostly been based in Dharamshala and uh, I guess Eileen I actually do want to give us a nice intro because I, I feel like it's hard to like succinctly put together all of the wonderful things that you're doing while you're here um, so can you give us give our audience a little bit of an intro into all the things that you do when you do come back and you know we, we just went for dinner with these amazing young girls here in Bikonir and the question was why why India so Let's maybe dive into that before we get started, because there's so many topics for us to cover. Why India? Well, I think I keep coming back to India because it's so interesting to me. You can, one of the girls said tonight, you can go on forever in India. Somewhere, everywhere you go is different. Everywhere you go has got a story. So for me, it's extremely, it's just fascinating. That's why I keep coming back, because I just keep learning about something new. And yeah, and then I guess... The other reason that I, I guess also I find in India itself, that kind of leads on to my first observation about India, is the diversity of India. So you can come to India and feel like you're visiting so many, like 10 countries in the one time. <laughs> you know, like I remember when I first came to India, it was like, oh, I'm in Himachal Pradesh. It's like Switzerland. And then I went to Rajasthan the next day and I'm in Morocco. Then you go to Ladakh and you're in Tibet and, you know, and then you're in Kashmir. It's like Pakistan. It's, so it's just, and then you go to the northeast of India, and that I don't even know what that is. That doesn't feel like anywhere else I've ever been. Um, so I think there's just endless possibilities for exploration and uh, looking at different cultures, trying to understand different cultures. <laughs> I really liked the example that you gave at dinner where you were like, there's these extremes of the country. And, you know, the way uh, the way you'd explained it was like, you know, you go to these forts or these palaces and it's like the most majestic thing, this grand thing that you've ever, like, it's it's the biggest thing you've ever seen. And then you go to Himachal and it's the biggest mountains you've ever seen. So I guess like, you know, you traveled quite a bit across the country. I know you're yet to go south, um, which will be fascinating to hear your perspective once you you go to that end. But I mean, thinking about the diversity, whether it's you know geography, geographically or or in terms of communities and people, like how have you been able to, or how have you perceived, um, you know, the, your experiences, especially especially as a traveler who practices slow travel. So you're not necessarily you know city hopping. You're really getting to sit and embrace and immerse in these communities. You know, what is how is that? How have you been able to reflect and absorb all of that? Well, I think because I've right, so I first of all spent most of my time in rural villages in the mountains. So I've probably got a perspective quite skewed towards that. But then I'm quite aware when I go to other places that the culture and the lifestyle and everything is completely different. And I think because I've sat in different how you know I've sat with families for hours on end <laughs> and observed small things that you start to realize like intricacies of behavior that you that you didn't really pick up on before so then you start thinking oh my god what else am I missing you know here and across the country so whenever I go somewhere now I kind of think oh like I see it for a few days I like it or I don't like it but then you think oh actually in a few months what would it, what would it look like what would I find out I don't know. I think when you spend time in India, it just makes you think what you don't know. Mm. You know, like there's just 
constantly things that come up that I go, oh, I had no idea things were like that here, or I had no idea people thought like that about this. So, how, I, as a traveler, I just think it's it's sort of a bit confusing, but also <laughs> and it's, it's and it's challenging, but it's very rewarding. Um, that answering your question, rewarding. <laughs> I like that that idea. Like, what do you mean by rewarding? <sighs> It's from my point of view, it's satisfying from like what do I mean? Because when you I think when you I think it started when I was working for the NGO that educators when we both worked for the NGO, like it sort of changed the way that I travel. So if you know I used to travel, I used to go and see sites. Oh nice, nice nice fort tech. Mm. And then you start when I sat, when you actually spend time with people, you maybe understand how they live in certain ways and certain, you know, responding to certain situations in certain ways. And that's just so much more interesting than seeing a site. So now when I go to any country, if I just go and see sites, I just don't think it's, it's just not satisfying. So it's like, so now it feels like in order to say I, I, I go, I don't know, seeing a country isn't really a term I guess like I don't feel you've experienced a country if you've seen some sites mm-hmm. so I think the more that you can spend time with people in communities and you can do that as a traveler you can do that as a traveler um it's a bit more difficult than if you're working for an NGO but you can definitely do it it's so much it's just for me it's 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 interesting it's interesting and you know I think the biggest challenge here is that like you know, I'm I'm totally biased, obviously, because I I believe in this style of travel. I believe in the in, in immersing yourself and and the connection. Like I'm really big on on connection and storytelling and being able to build empathy with the people, um, the landscape, the agriculture, like everything about a destination. And you know, one of the biggest I think barriers, especially in like in regards to sustainable development or sustainability within the tourism sector is the fact that, you know, this is something that's very much missing from, uh, from mainstream travel, um, for a lot of travelers. And, you know, I'm curious to your thoughts around, do you think it's because people like, you know, for example, in, 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 um, North America, like the average vacation time in a year is like two weeks. So it's like, how much can you really experience in two weeks? Like, I I really don't blame people when they're like, I'm going to just flop on a beach for like seven days straight because I'm like, yeah, like, like what can you really, what can you really absorb in, in seven days? And I'm wondering your thoughts on like, you know, how your perspectives might, you know, how they differ from, you know, mainstream travelers that you've come across or, you know, we've had, we've had lengthy conversations about, you know, communities that you've come across in, in Dharamshala, for, for example, like there's a big, um, there's a big foreign community, like a big community of foreigners that are living there who have tried to kind of, you know, take on the local way of living, but they're not necessarily doing it in the most sustainable way. I know that's kind of like a general term to kind of give, but just like uh, the, their impact on the community is uh, like long-term kind of problematic, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, and I'm curious to just kind of hear your thoughts on how you perceive yourself in these destinations, maybe compared to other travelers, uh, because I'm definitely uh, guilty of this in comparing myself to other travelers. And I don't think it's healthy um, to be like, oh, well, I do that better. And it's like, mm-hmm. well, that's not fair. Like it, it's also a lack of awareness, understanding, a lack of time. So uh, I think I'm rambling a little bit here, but like, I'm just curious to your perspective on it. It's interesting <laughs> because I work in London. I work in a place where I'm surrounded by fairly conservative people who work, you know, and they, and you know, they're all my friends um, and they work and all my friends in London have, have full-time jobs. So they cannot go away for long periods of time. All they can do is go on holiday. So I abs and I, can understand that most of them really don't want to go and do what I do like they, they all think I'm absolutely quite mental like to travel <laughs> the way I do so but I can I can get that I mean when I came to India this time like I've been here 10 days and I'm like oh yeah I feel like I've just about got back into things but you know most people's holiday we would just be coming to an end mm-hmm. so I guess though that I think that creates like, if I was in a job I'd probably be saying to how I would choose to do things would be go to one place like 
I guess if it was a city somewhere, I'd just be like, I'm going to go for two weeks to, I don't know, Tbilisi or something and spend one, two weeks in one place. But a lot of people also don't want to do that. That's just my approach to it. Um, I guess that actually leaves a space for sustainable travel off places. People do want to see local side of things. They do want to do to, to see like what see communities or see things a bit differently these days. So I think like, but they could, but they only have two weeks. Yeah. So I think that does leave it open for people like yourself to, to if you can market yourself correctly, to do programs where that are different from others. And I'm sure it must be there, but like a lot of them are very very expensive from, yeah. from what I've seen um, so it's like getting the, you know it's getting the balance like I mean if if you can, if you put somebody who's comfortable in India and has who knows this who knows like places to go that's like half the battle places to go for food places to go to like how to get the buses and just to show people around and to take them to offbeat places I think people would be would want to do that it's just about getting the, the link between them and you you know um so i think that actually leaves like i think there's a space for people to sort of take people from the working world who've only got two weeks who want a sort of like offbeat like you know grassroots experience they don't necessarily want to do volunteer work but they just want to see things a bit differently mm. Um, in terms of long-term stairs, yeah, I have to say, like, there's a lot. <laughs> that, Touchy topic. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Um, I think a lot. I think in India, you've got, and in any probably environment that you go to, there's different types of travelers, and people have different um, motivations for being in that country. Um, and I guess, like, a lot of people want to be in India because. It's perhaps cheap. It's it's an easygoing. There's a lot of like reasonably pleasant places to stay. Um, they like they like the sort of lifestyle. But yeah, some a lot of expats who stay here are not really engaging. They're not here to uh, engage with communities or change the way things are done at all. Um, again, I guess like you can understand like if, I guess, you can understand that. They just have different motivations for doing things. Mm. But I think it's about finding people are out there who want to do things differently. It's about kind of networking with them. But the problem with India is that there's so many sort of people getting through all the people to the people that are like you is actually quite hard. Mm. Um, I find it, I think it's got a bit better in India. But I mean, in the last, about a few years ago, it was quite hard. To, I find it quite hard to meet other tourists because there were so many hostels. You know, the, it, the hostel thing's fairly new in India, like, it, over the last five yeah, years. Yeah, I remember it was, like, Zostel was, like, yeah. the only option for so long. Exactly. <laughs> so it's, like, it's got, I think it's got better in the last, sort of, five years of places to meet other travellers who perhaps are more like you, whereas before you used to kind of, like, get, perhaps get a guest house. Like, it was, I didn't find it as easy to meet other travellers. But I do think you meet a lot, I do actually find that I meet a lot of like-minded people in India. Um, again, it depends on the destination, and I think people yeah. pick their destinations on where, uh, what they want out of India, um, if that makes sense. Well, I'm I'm curious, like, what would you say uh, specifically for Damshala? Because I think yeah. Damshala is becoming one of those destinations, like Damshala, like McLeod Ganj, like all of that general area has become very saturated, um, and, and I'm. And, you know, there, and there's so many issues, like buildings are like mm. collapsing. They're having to close down construction. People are doing things illegally. And, you know, like the mountain can only sustain so much. And I'm curious to like, what, what have you observed as people's motivations for that destination specifically? Like, uh, I know there's a lot of people who are interested in like the religious aspects. Uh, you know, a lot of people are, are definitely very fond of, of um, being in a place that kind of has the Dalai Lama's like, you know, presence. Um, but I mean, I haven't spent like long periods of time there, so I'm curious. Well, Dharamsala is an interesting place. It's got a whole load of different groups of people, which I didn't actually even know about recently until I met an anthropologist who was working there to try and like map all these different groups of oh no way of, yeah of tour, of not just tourists but like stairs I suppose so oh, stairs specifically yeah like so sort of okay. long term long term groups okay. so like including including expats but also including Tibetans, Nepalese, Kashmiris, okay. 
locals. Um, but it, in terms of the expat, I mean, I also classify there's like a big Indian population that I would classify as expat because they're not from Dharamsala, but they kind of go there to right. live to, to live differently. So um, uh, there's, I guess, a lot of people go for the spiritual side of things and the religious studying that goes on because there's a whole load of things that go on in Dharamsala and there's also Tushita and there's the Vipassana the centre. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people go for marijuana <laughs> <laughs> and that's mostly in Dharamkot and Bagsu and then I think a lot of people go, like I, th- I think probably specifically more like the Indian expats go for perhaps the life, the lifestyle, they want to get away from Indian cities and they want to live a different way. Um, and they actually tend to be more outside Durham, outside McLeoganj, so like more scattered around the villages outside McLeoganj. Um, and then there's the people that come for, there's a lot of organic, organic farming that's going on, again, outside Dharamsala. So I think there's a lot of people that come for that. You know, Dharamsala is actually quite a cosmopolitan place for a very small place. Yeah, yeah, um, 100%. Yeah, it's, yeah, but then also it's just kind of, I think, also been on the backpacker scene a long time. So you do get like sort of, the backpackers coming through um and then you get the, and then yeah there's the kind of long-staying foreigners which i think there's an uneasy relationship with in dharamsala and i do think it's it might have i think it's probably changed the way indian people look at foreigners because they've foreigners have been coming to dharamsala for so long um and they've been investing in the communities like not going to completely unselfish level. They've been they've been building houses, with, but they can't do that without local help. So there's a lot of kind of cross cultural partnerships that have been going on over decades in Dharamsala, which I'm not sure is has been a good thing, because I think people come to Dharamsala on holiday and or like they come from a very well off background and they kind of pour money into this small community. And I think that kind of creates it. I think it does create like a Westerners are very rich. Westerners have got lots of money to build houses, and um, how do I say? I just I think it's created a lot of competition between different villages, between different people in villages. Mm. Um, and I don't like when I look at, when I look at it now. If a Westerner comes in and gives somebody, like say somebody wants to build a house but they can't, but they want this so they partner up with a local family, and that local family say live in one one floor of the house all year I mean you've, you've just kind of randomly picked a family to you've got friendly with one family and that you've built a house with them so their their standard of living has gone up significantly mm. like what's happened to all the other families round about them you know why that family has been picked you know right. why that family benefited oh because they'd befriended a westerner so you know I think it creates a like a pattern which isn't very healthy for relationships between you know, cultures like it's you know it's not an equal partnership. It's a it's a one it's not one sided because like you know obviously locals have land rights, but it's got but Westerners they have a lot of seem to have a lot of disposable income. Um, so I think I think people it's it's one of these things like you need to be careful with money <laughs> and how you use it. Um, yeah, I guess because you know. India actually sees uh, not as much of a tourism leakage as other countries, but it does still see, um, uh, I believe, India sees a 40% tourism leakage. So I I can, it's interesting that, you know, there's so many foreigners coming in and investing, uh, and they're thinking that they're doing good. They think that it's like really impacting the community in a good way, forgetting that, um, like, that they are not a local and for them to like create an economic opportunity, but take the majority of the funds or like take the majority of the benefit from whatever they're investing in. Like their shops owned by foreigners illegally. There is restaurants owned by foreigners illegally um, houses owned by foreigners illegally, you know, and <clears throat> it's, and it also sounds like there's another element, like a social element here as well, because, you know, we're seeing more foreigners also marrying into these families which is also kind of changing the structure, like the family structure and and doing a lot of cross-cultural mingling uh, without either side really having a true, I mean, it's hard to have a true understanding of, of, you know, such a rich culture. Um, And then coming in from, from, you know, I feel like a lot of foreigners when they come here as well, um, 
you know, we also kind of forget all the things that are happening at home and forget how different it is. Like, like there's still times when I speak to like my partner who I'm just like, it's, I feel like there's still so many challenges, like so many cultural challenges around there. And I'm curious to what you've observed around that when that's kind of added into the mix of like these people picking people randomly or finding people randomly and then investing all this money and building up the community, but not really, not really, not really thinking like through uh, what they've just done or what decisions that they're making in destination and how that impacts the community long term. Yeah, I think it is quite, um, it's quite a good question definitely from what I saw in Dharamsala, like it's very hard to know, understand what a culture is like before you have been in it five or ten years even, like, mm-hmm. um, and unfortunately, I kind of called it globalisation at one point, I was like, it's globalisation, like, you know, people from other countries come to other, you know, mix, mm-hmm. and they, you know, they pair up, and then they'll have children, and unfortunately, a lot of them will find it so difficult cross-culturally that, that you know there will be you know they will break they possibly do break up but like I think it's it's kind of inevitable as we move as like you know populations mm. move around the globe that we're just going to like we're going to like pair that's going to happen we're going to pair up but there is undoubtedly like repercussions to actions because when you come from like say you come from the west to India there are th- like you cannot go kind of go as a woman you cannot go back the way you cannot go from being and and also I'm talking specifically about what like you know Dharamsala here because Dharamsala is a very actually is quite a conservative community so despite the Dalai Lama being there for a long time and Westerners having come a long time the locals in Dharamsala are quite conservative mm-hmm. um, so if you were in say Delhi this could be completely di- this is not going yeah, to yeah I think in context to like met- yeah. metropolis like spaces so you, it's it's very okay. very different so basically you're talking about Westerners coming and getting together with local people that are probably not very well educated at all <clears throat> not being any not being abroad um you know and may seem quite worldly but because they've had a lot of people coming through their area but actually they don't it's, it's they are completely different and they will be at home they will have a very very conservative traditional like way of living that you may think you may look at and think oh that's interesting that's nice um but it it is so different and for a woman it would be very different diff, difficult to even go into that at all because you're kind of be, you're going to have to give up some of your privileges as a woman that you have in the west i mean it's not a privilege a right you know a right the rights that we have in the west as women you'd have to give that up to fit in with these rural conservative societies so and obviously women don't want to do that so i think that's why there's a lot of tension between men and women of these you know cross-cultural marriages or part or partnerships and you know at first it seems like it's okay but then you know things do come up and they Mm -hmm. are going to come up there's just no way that men who have brought up have been brought up in in indians like rural indian society are going to be are going to not try and put some of that onto western women who have not been brought up and who live a completely different life i mean it's going to it kind of brings me on to like one of the big topics i guess when my reflections of india is like the way that women live Mm -hmm. and like you know being in Dharamsala, looking, watching how women live and how girls live, it's hard to, I just don't think people understand how bad things are for girls mm-hmm. in rural Indian society. Um, I, yeah, I think it, it, it's interesting because I am, I'm aware of what's happening, yet, you know, I, you know, my friends, my community are, are, are very much like in urban communities, they're you know, their parents are quite modern, like, you know, the the millennial friends that I have that are like in their, you know, early to late 20s, early 30s, I'm finding like, oh, like there's like, everything is the same, like as me, like nothing's different. But then I come back to Beacon Air and I'm at Hada House and, you know, I'm, you know, we're in like a super traditional, like Muslim community. These girls uh, that we like, that we work with and hang out with are just like, 
so different. And like, I didn't, and, and I realized that like, because there's so much happening in the household that I am not aware of. And like, these are things that like, I know are happening, but I'm, I forget because it's so easy to like, I, we can go to Delhi for the weekend, come back. And it's like a whole other world. Yeah. And it's like yeah. every hundred kilometers in India, it's a whole new world basically. Yeah. And, uh, so yeah, sorry, continue. It's just, but like, I, like, I agree with that. I sometimes forget to really reflect on it because especially when we were working for the NGO, like being in like Nadi or, or Gajnir, like uh, sometimes I reflect back and I'm like, you know, it's been a couple of years since I was doing that project work, work, but it's also like, damn, like I forgot what it was like to be in those households, to be in those homestays, to observe everything that, that that's happening in that family environment. Forget that like a majority of India is still like, you know, the families still share one room and like, there's no privacy. And for a woman, that's so challenging. Like I remember when we were trying to talk about menstrual health, it was so hard to get past the giggle stage with girls to talk about this because it's, they're just so uncomfortable with who they are as a woman, what it means, the power of being a woman, the, <clears throat> the ability that our bodies have to, 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 to make magic. Like we literally make children and like not understanding how that happens. No one being open to having the conversation with them. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm digressing, but I just get so into this topic. So please like share all of your perspective because <laughs> like, yeah. My perspective is quite depressing on this topic though, because I've, you know, I've got, I've had, I've become friends with girls in, in communities to like, not, I've not been working with them. I've just got to know them. Mm-hmm. And it's been really like, you know, it's been really hard to watch them get to actually, it's been really upsetting to watch one, like, you know, get them, get married, listen to them talking about it. Um, one girl that I knew pretty well, she got married about a year ago. And about six months before the wedding, I think it was just utter horror. You know, she was 21. But it was just like, I think it was just like, you know, you could just tell, like, she did not want to get married. Her sisters told me she doesn't want to get married. I said to her, do you want children? No, why not? I'm a child. I don't want, I don't, I'm, I'm too young. I'm, I'm a child myself. You know, and we sat on the rooftop and her mum and dad obviously had to buy a dowry. You know, and they were going to the next village to deliver the diary to the new husband's home. And we're sitting on the rooftop and, you know, this, the, the ho- total horror in her eyes, you know, watching. She's like, but they're, and they're basically going to pay for someone to take their, their daughter off them because she's a, that's what they've got to do. That's what society is forcing them to, do, like, you know, saying that they must do. The daughters must get married and they'll go and you've got to almost pay somebody to take them because they're not going to make any money someone's got to be paid to look after them in a way I mean that's a very very harsh like depressing way of looking at it but like if you've got four daughters like financially it's a huge burden so I mean I know diaries are outlawed but you know it's 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 not it doesn't matter that that's one thing about India like the law doesn't mean much a lot of the time things are just not enforced on any way in any way so I mean yeah I have a very it's a bit heavy sorry um I, like people and I think arranged marriages aren't that bad it's more about having the choice that like, you know if girls have the choice and they say yes I want to have a marriage and I haven't met anybody mum can you dad can you find me somebody that's one thing but um when girls like don't have a choice that's the really depressing thing and, and it's, well that's just one of the depressing things but another depressing thing is when they get married like they're then the property that they're essentially the property of like the other family and they can't do things. I mean, I, girls have told me things like, oh, I've got to wear a hat. And I'm like, why? Because my mother-in-law says so. I'm like, what? She, you know, yeah, she she says so. And I'm like, well, do you say no? No, no, I can't say no. And, you know, I, I want to go and see my sick dad. Well, can you not go? Well, I have to ask my mother-in-law's permission. You know, you, you can't go You can't go out of the house. You can't just go. as When you're married, you've got to check with the family that you're, you're now living with. I mean, they just don't, they're essentially like sort of in sort of essentially slaves and it's really it's sorry it is really depressing but I don't think people understand how terrible it is and they see arranged marriage and they go oh that's really bad but that's not really that's not the bad thing it's the fact people don't have a choice in the way they live their life Mm. um yeah choice and consent I think is a huge theme around this and you know what what's unfortunate too is that like we are we are both western women talking about this topic which makes me a little bit upset but it's not like it's it but it's like i mean even for a lot of my like modern 
Indian girlfriends who were amazing and super proactive about like getting shit done and like, you know, fighting the status quo. I still feel like this is a topic that is kind of left alone. Yeah. Uh, just because it's so deeply rooted in, in, in culture. Yeah. Um, and it's really hard to unpack that because I mean, India is like an onion. Like there's just yeah, exactly. peeling off layers and layers and layers. And like, it's so hard to get down to like the root of each tradition and challenge and barrier um, yeah. because, and I think that's, I mean, Oh God, I don't want to get political because I don't want to like, <laughs> deal with I, think I, just... <laughs> I think the government can, they're the ones that can change this bit. Like, I think like, but can they? I, don't, I think, like, it's going to take generations, you know, for women to get equal, to be equal. And I mean, I know that there's problems across the globe, but, like, for this country, to, for women here to be equal across the country, like, it's going to take generations. But I don't see who else, um, I don't really see who else could, who can reach everybody. Like, you know, people, a lot of people respect Modi. So, like, they respect the government of the country. Like, I do feel that, with like a really long-term advertising education program perhaps over like you know decades things might change but I I, I it also sort of needs the infrastructure the resources mm-hmm. to do that like you know so dowries for example like you know if you want to stamp that out you need to actually start penalizing people that are doing it and that requires like having some sort of enforcement of it yeah. rules so it requires like people who are who like a whole sort of infrastructure and accountability set up that's just not here on any about anything um well i think yeah one of the biggest barriers i find is that like the government is doing things like like policy is being made they're trying to implement changes that are going to push india towards um like like sustainable growth that's actually healthy and long-term for the citizens of the country. But that being said, like there's a lot of complexities, especially with the government that we're currently, we currently have. There's a lot of controversial topics being had, especially there's a lot of like, like there's a lot of confliction between like, uh, like how the government supports rural communities versus urban communities. And then, and then also at the other end of it, it's like we have like these grassroots organizations and these NGOs and these social enterprises that are doing really good work, really meaningful and impactful work that is changing, like, like really, really helping with, with development from like a social, economic, environmental and political aspect. Mm-hmm. But the problem I'm finding is that there's no one in the middle, like connecting both ends. Like we're either doing bottom up, but like, kind of lost in the middle or we're going top down and getting lost in the middle. So like, where is the interlinking connection to make sure that things that are being done on the ground and the things that are being done at the top are actually uh, working together and implement and and being implemented strategically? Because, you know, I I think, sorry, this is such a heavy topic. I sometimes lose my, lose my train of thought (laughs) because I'm like, my wheels just get spinning with this because like, what is the interlinking interlinking connection that we're missing? Like, what is it specifically that we need? And and I, I don't know if I can, I'm like, hey, Eileen, tell me what it is. Like, I just want someone to tell me, please. But I think, like, as we dive more into these issues, we realize that there's just so many layers that, yeah, it's going to take a while for us to unpack all of that. And, and it's also not necessarily totally our place, you know? No, it has no. to be unpacked by people who want to unpack it of course like that's the thing i'm not like it's hard to say you should or shouldn't do anything because to be honest like no one's gonna it doesn't matter what i think like you know it's just but i think the thing is this problem is not like not this problem women are going to only going to get it's going to be many many things that come together you know that change this it's not going to be one thing that some that the government does or one ngo or it's going to be like a whole bunch of contributing factors you know it's like it's not i mean i think when women also like so in the uk for example women were quite sidelined until the second world war happened and then they really needed women and women stepped up and after that they weren't going away I mean, before that, you know, it was really, it wasn't, it wasn't good. It was really bad. So there was some, so there was a huge sort of push for change at a certain point in time because they really, really needed women. Now, I don't, I don't know what that would be in India terms, like, but at some, you know, maybe at some point there will be a real requirement for women to work in India. 
um, which might, and then once women start working and they'll start earning their own money, they don't need to get married. Like at the moment, a lot of women need to get married because they have no way of earning their own money. But when they start earning money, they don't. They, the requirement to have a man it goes out the window, and slowly, slowly, but slowly, slowly, they will. I think at that point, when women start getting money of their own, they will be able to be independent, and they will start fighting their parents, telling them, "Oh, you should get married. You should get married." You know, slowly, yeah. slowly. But that's and that's another thing. So that's one thing. Um, but you know, there'll be loads. There'll be loads of other <laughs> things that change the way women like that, like live in this country over decades. I just hope that it. Like, you know, it's sooner. <laughs> yeah, I think you made a good point there, though, with like economic opportunity that kind of boils down to the fact that like access to quality education is so important for empowering women. But at the same time, it's like, you know, even with like our lovely one of our, our ex interns that was here at Hutta House that, you know, very well, like she is this badass 20 year old who, you know, wants to continue studying, wants to travel just in India, just like she wants to travel abroad, but like, you know, just to travel to Delhi is like impossible for her parents to fathom. Like, no, you can't study in Delhi. We have no control over your safety or your whereabouts or what you're doing there. Like we can't. And it's not even like, it's, it's not even like, we don't trust you. It's like, we don't trust the world. And it's like, how on earth are we supposed to get women to step up and be independent and take on, you know, more opportunity if, you know, their parents, even at the age of 20, I mean, still young, but like at the age of 20 to be so restricted to like your home and like your community and not really being able to step outside of that. And the fact that like, they're still going to invest in her education, but in Bikaner. And once she's educated, she will be married. Well, like, I think we could, what you should take, what in that particular circumstance, what we should take heart from is that she's actually fighting. Yes, it. that's true. So, like, you know, 10 years ago, same situation. She might not have felt the ability, she might have had the ability to fight it, but certain, probably like certain things, cultural things have changed, certain friends, like, mm-hmm. you know, have managed to go away and study. So she is actually fighting this, like, her parental, like, sort of wishes. And she, you know... And she's trying to think of ways of getting out of Bikinir to do to see that to live in other parts of India that say, okay, I'm not going to go and study in Delhi, but I'll, if I get a job, then I'll be self-sufficient, and then I can go. Yeah. So I actually, like, I know it sounds like a depressing story, but I think it's actually positive that she is fighting back because that's I mean, girls need to fight back, or else there'll never be any change. And I mean, it would be great if the parents also changed, but like, it's much more likely to come from the young people. And if one person does it, then another person wants to do it and they'll fight to do it. And if they're fighting to do it, that's really good, I think. Yeah, I think this is the kind of the generation where things start to kind of get, we kind of like, you know, F shit up. (laughs) Sorry for so many, using so many curse words. But just like, you know, you know, women are fighting harder. They are also the generation that is like starting to question things and they're not afraid to question things. Well, maybe a little bit, but I think this is like another coming back full circle to like the power that tourism does have is these cross-cultural connections. Like, you know, just, just like communicating, like literally we've had four female staff through Hada House and the stories of like just being able to connect through the opportunity here with, with foreigners is really is really inspiring because it's like just for them to have a safe space like through like I feel like I'm just like I'm, I'm like tooting my own horn here with like promoting my own my own social enterprise but like organizations and spaces like this these safe spaces where young women feel comfortable in expressing what they're going through how they're feeling with somebody who has a different perspective who can who can help them question more and be more of a critical thinker around these topics, I think is empowerment in itself. And and I think that's one of the beauties of, of, of tourism because, you know, if not, you know, you know, she might not have ever, like even you, I think that you've been a big, a big inspiration for her. Like she loves connecting with you. And I think it's really powerful that she can come and sit with us for an afternoon on a random Saturday and just be like, yeah, my mom wants me to get married. And like, I said, no, and like, I'm going to fight it. And it's like, yeah, good for you. You do what you want to do. Cause it's like, even if you wanted to go for it, but the fact that you don't is, and you know that and you've identified it and you've made it apparent to your parents, like that's huge. That's a huge first step. I don't, I think it's also not just about, um, 
like being able to show being able to like share you know anxieties or opinions it's also just about interaction and especially for young girls um because if you're a tourist in india you generally have to deal with men unfortunately like you know (laughs) if you go to a tourist shop in the shop it's all men um but if if girls can interact with tourists I think, well, for a start, I think tourists will like it more. Like, you know, I think they would get a better service. Um, but that will empower women as well. The fact that they're do, they, like just talking to people. Like, I think one of the byproducts, actually probably the best thing to come out of the NGO that we did work for was the fact that the girls in the communities spent time with Westerners. And not, not necessarily the, you know, the educational side of things, just the, like, hanging out rubbing off each other like having a laugh like speaking english like one friend one male friend of mine came up and visited the village and spoke to one girl and he was like i have not had a conversation in india with a girl like that Mm. she's so confident and so chatty and so like open and that and that is because she's been interacting and that is because she's been interacting with westerners for several years so yeah i think like just talking to people um, so I think actually what Hara House is doing with, you know, employing young girls is great because very often girls don't get the chance to interact with tourists. So if we can increase that, I mean, any sort of, that's the thing, any sort of impactful tour, responsible tourist tour should actually be with a lot about women because women don't get to interact with Westerners. Yeah, I think you're, you have a golden nugget there too in like something that I think is worth discussing as well is the fact that like there is not enough women in the tourism and hospitality yeah. space, which makes it which makes it hard for, for women to feel safe uh, traveling in India. Like, you know, like we've all had our situations. I mean, things happen all around the world. Of course, it's not just India. We shouldn't always, like, I feel like a lot of people are always like India, India with women's safety. But it's also like, not having women in these spaces and, you know, like all of like those destinations like Rishikesh and all these places where like all these young boys run hostels and they see these beautiful Western <laughs> girls come in and there's all these like affairs and craziness happening, like, you know, and, and getting so used to that mindset that like, even if I go to a hostel and I'm like getting hit on by the reception, I'm like, that's not okay. Yeah. Like, this is not what the space is for. This is a professional business. This is not for you to hook up with Western women who are coming here to find themselves, you know, just like, I hate to say that word, but like, you know what I mean? Um, but it's, it's, you know, that, that safety component is huge and that doesn't in- encourage other women to get into the space and want to work in the space if they're constantly founded by men. Um, and I think that's actually like a huge factor in regards to just uh, empowerment and safety. And also like, the hospitality and tourism industry is freaking massive in India. Like, I don't know what the, what like the economic like value is, but I'm sure it is like a good chunk of percentage of, of, I should find this out and put this in the show notes. So look in the show notes after this. Um, but I mean, if we could incorporate more women in there, like imagine just based on like the impact that we've seen with the few girls that we have worked with, which is maybe like in the range of like 20, you know, like that's not many women. And to see the the, the changes that we've seen even over like three months, six months, a couple of years, like it's, it's inspiring. And I think women would bring a lot to the tourism sector. And I think they bring actually, like, I think it'd be harder for guys to act irresponsibly when a woman's there. Like, <laughs> I think, like, keeping when, them accountable. Like, you know, I think when women feel comfortable here, they do. Like, you know, I think, like, I think it would bring a, just a completely different perspective to so many, to so many, like, offices, like, operations, having women involved. I think they would bring so much. Um, like, there are women, I mean, there are two companies that are run for women. I mean, I heard about one in Ladakh, it's like a women's trekking company. I think it does really yeah, well. Yeah, there's a few cool, like F5 Escapes is a really cool one. I met those girls. I met uh, Malini, one of the co-founders at our at our Tourism Shella event. And I think, like, it's incredible what they're doing, especially because they're focusing on, like, domestic travelers, like travelers in India, experiencing India as a woman with a safe community of women. And that's something like what we're doing with our, our sisterhood retreat here at, at Hada House. Um, it is happening um, slowly. And I'm also finding the women that run the organizations are kind of, like, in our millennial range of age like they really understand the value that being said there's still a lot of women in the tourism business but they're mostly behind the scenes like um you know running more like service-based companies they're kind of just behind behind the computer they're not really at the forefront um there's like an open eyes project is another great one in delhi where they they hire all like 
uh, more like vulnerable women to run these tours. And um, I, I think it's beautiful. It's a beautiful opportunity. And, and like, again, we see the advantages and benefits of it like instantly, but um, unfortunately it's just not as big. And it's also, there's a lot of stigma uh, around women entering the industry as well as women wanting to enter the industry. Um, yeah. So, cause like a hotel, for example, like a luxury hotel, you'll definitely, you always see like amazing women that are delivering like exceptional customer service, like not to brag about these amazing women, but like, you know, uh, but that is like a major corporation, like, like an Oberoi or a Taj, like these are major corporations where there, there has to be policies in place because they wouldn't be able to operate otherwise. But if it's like a small hostel in Rishikesh run by a bunch of teenage boys. Like, no, I don't, as a traveler, I don't feel like I want to go there. I know exactly like, I know like, yes, I'm putting a lot of stereotypes around it, but like, I know exactly what I'm going to expect in that environment. And with no women around, like I'm not encouraged whatsoever. But, like, these like organizations, for example, Zostel, yeah. like, I mean, the, like, I can't remember. I have seen women working in these types of hostels, but they should have a policy 50, 50, you know, like, mm-hmm. why not? Why could, cause young educated girls, would get jobs in these places, you know, like when they're like at uni or something to earn more money. Like I reckon like, like, cause the bot and also the guys that are working in these types of houses are also quite educated. They're like, yeah. you know, they're, yeah. they're not, you know, they're, they're the people, they're, they're, they're um, people that you have a conversation with and they're, they're not going to hit on you. Like they're set. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah, it does happen. That's you true. Know, there, are different, there are different <laughs> levels of like, like hostels and accommodation choices mm-hmm. and some could lead the way you know some could make a policy like you know there's no reason why you can't have a reservation policy for women in some places like you know how much how good would it be for publicity if like hostel said right well now we're hiring 50 percent women like mm-hmm. that's our new that's our policy yeah, that's like a huge marketing exactly i'd be like well i'm going to go and support that <laughs> it picks up in all the audio Sorry. um <laughs> Uh, what was I gonna say? Yeah, but it, uh, an interesting thing that I've noticed recently, though, is like sometimes when I look on hostel websites, a female dorm is more expensive than a mixed dorm. Yes, that is really. And boring. I'm like, what the hell is that supposed to mean? Like, why? Because I feel unsafe in a mixed dorm and like don't want to be around men. And like, and, and like, I can't imagine it's easy. Like, for imagine if you're like a married woman or a conservative woman. Like, not everyone's a like a total like you know that stereotypical like hippie-ish backpacker who's just like willing to just walk around in their short shorts all the time like I sometimes I want a little bit of privacy and I feel safer in a in a, in a female space um and and I, I shouldn't I shouldn't say female I should say anyone who identifies as a woman like as long as I feel safe in that space I think that's huge and I don't necessarily always feel that way when like you know, especially because, oh, I, I like, I feel like I'm putting so many stereotypes out there, but it's just because like, I've experienced it constantly for the, for the past five years. So it's, you know, and I'm, I know other people feel the same, I'm sure. It's not um, a stereotype. I also think you have to call it out. Like it is a problem. I like, know. um, I have, I have had the same experience in hostels and I only book female dorms. Yeah. Like I do not book mixed dorms because I do not want to be stared at. I don't want to feel uncomfortable and I shouldn't have to. But I hate having to, I do agree I hate having to pay more. Yeah, I don't I don't I don't think it makes any sense. And 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 it's funny, like I actually recently I was in Jaipur uh, getting some textiles um for a fashion project and um I I shared a dorm with this one um Indian guy who was actually super, super sweet, but it's so sad that when I walked into that dorm room I was like, Oh, I should have booked I should have asked for an all female dorm. And that's my first thought. Like, that is not okay. That is not okay for me to go into that room with that mindset. That needs to be changed. That needs to be shifted. I should not feel immediately um, at risk, like, walking into a dorm room just because there was an Indian dude there who was, like, backpacking. Like, and he ended up being, like, a sweetheart. And I'm just, like... Am I a horrible person for thinking that? But I'm like, unfortunately, experiences repeat themselves and like history repeats itself. And that's, this is what I've experienced countless yeah, times. just going on what you've experienced and you need, it's not your fault and you shouldn't feel, you should never even feel for one minute that it's something that you feel you're a bad person for thinking. It's because of what you've experienced and it's true and you should call it out. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you in, in, in empowering <laughs> me to call it out. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. Um, we have been talking for a 
a long time. And I feel like there are so many things that we could dive into. Um, I feel like we have to do a part two of this because Eileen <laughs> yeah, and I literally like, uh, she has just come back to India after like seven months. Yeah. You were here in like February. Um, and it's, oh my gosh, it's so lovely to see you every time you're here. And like, I also get quite jealous when you're always in the mountains. I'm like sweating my ass off in the, in the heat of Rajasthan in the summer. Um, but, um, Eileen, thank you so much for like chatting with me. And, um, I know we chat all the time, but at least we got this one recorded so we can kind of share because I, I do think what we have to share is a value. And I know that, um, this could also possibly start a really great conversation around these different topics And you know, guys feel free to comment, whether it's on, you know, Spotify, Apple, Apple podcast, wherever you're listening, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Feel free to reach out on social media as well. Um, so I think, yeah, if people want to chat more, like, where can they find you? Oh, um, you can find me on my, I've got a blog. So I blog at the nomadicnumerous.com. So you can, you can contact me on that. Okay. <laughs> and you're also on Instagram. I am on Instagram under the same name. Okay. I'll make sure that's in the show notes for anyone who wants to connect with Eileen <laughs> after. All right. So I'm going to end this with a jingle. Come on, Eileen. <laughs> yeah. So if you want to reach out to her, get in touch. Um, again, thank you so much. And Eileen is actually working on some really cool writing projects. Um, before we end off, I'd love, like, if you wanted to share with the audience what they can maybe um, expect, because uh, this episode will go live in, in, in January 2020, and we're sitting here in November. Um, you know, what, what might you have been working on over the next couple months that people can expect on the blog? Well, on the blog. On the blog, I just tend to talk about a few things that I've been trying like my travel stories so I'm actually heading off from here tomorrow to Delhi but then traveling from Delhi to Yangon overland so I might put up some write-ups of that journey so I'll be going via the northeast via Assam and Megalia sorry um, into Myanmar so I will probably put some blog write-ups on that but I also am trying to write a bit more serious topics um so but I won't give them away at the moment oh we'll see how I get on Ooh. but yeah if MG's got anything that the think is interesting they should send me they should send me a like, a like a line and tell me because I'm always looking for like stories and, and I mean I guess my focus is culture social issues women's issues um developmental issues um but yeah they, they can get a flavor from my blog all right well if you want to reach out Eileen now you know so again in the show notes Eileen thank you so much for thank your you. time and uh, I know you probably want to go to bed because it's almost 11. So uh, Eileen's also a grandma with her sleep schedule. But uh, we'll wake up in the morning and she can give me a little yoga lesson because I'm usually the late starter. So uh, thank you guys for listening. And Eileen, talk to you in another five minutes. <laughs> ha, feeling inspired? See what other impact stories we have to share over on causeartist.com. Be sure to subscribe for weekly updates from Grant and I about content, giveaways, and new episodes from Disruptors for Good and Impact India. Looking to learn more about social impact and conscious living in India? Hit me up on Instagram at Jasmine Rain. Cheers, friends!